The lack of transparency is a rife area of risk for biased responses. The whole discussion about AI ethics is whether you see it as a value or whether you see it as compliance. My comparison I use is with health and safety. Whatever values you have in the analog world should be extended to the digital world. and welcome to Insight Story, Tech Trends Unpacked for Business Leaders, the podcast that gives you the insight you need to make the right decisions about how to use tech to benefit your organisation. I'm Susie O'Neill and this is brought to you by Kaspersky, the cybersecurity specialists. This time we're asking, what do you need to know to use AI ethically? world where algorithms can make decisions and data fuels innovation, it means that thinking about ethics is more critical than ever, especially for anyone in business. Organisations need to balance the benefits of this incredible new technology with making sure they preserve their own integrity and protecting their customers. How does possible AI bias affect businesses? What can you do to ensure fairness? And what about privacy and the responsible use of data in this pursuit of progress? To help me answer these and other questions, I'm going to be joined by two people who work at the centre of these issues. Tomoko Yokoi is a researcher based at the IMD Business School in Switzerland, and she writes extensively about digital transformation. And Andy Crouch is a tech entrepreneur and consultant for Acumen, a world leader in ethical use of audience data. But of course, we need to make sure we're all on the same page when it comes to all of this. And we have some very ethical help. Hello, I am Dolly, your Insight Assistant. Dolly, thank you for coming by. Now, there's a lot of noise about the ethical side of artificial intelligence and business. What's the main worry? The key concern is around fairness and fears of bias in AI algorithms. This can affect decision-making and deepen societal inequalities. Right, I can see that's an issue. What kind of problems can this lead to? As an example, facial recognition systems have shown biases against certain groups of people which could impact their access to services. Biases in job hiring algorithms can disadvantage some people. Amazon's recruiting tool was found to favor male applicants. And what other concerns are there? Inaccurate data can lead to hallucinations in large language models in generative AI technologies that power chatbots like ChatGPT or Google Bard. There are transparency concerns around the data sources used in Gen AI, also how much human oversight is needed in AI-driven systems, and whether companies prioritize automation over human employment. Well, yeah, we need to keep humans in the loop, wouldn't you agree? Anything else? It's vital that businesses protect users' privacy and make sure customer data is secured and not accessed without consent. When interacting with customers, organizations need to be clear about whether people are talking to a human or to a bot. Yeah, I'm beginning to see what all the fuss is about. Are companies already using this technology? The latest McKinsey Global Survey on the current state of AI says one-third of respondents are using Gen AI regularly in at least one business function. It is worth noting that it is only one year since generative AI tools became widely available. Yay, thank you. So, Dolly, should we label you to say whether you're a human or a bot, or are you a prototype of artificial general intelligence? Goodbye. Okay, touched a nerve. Again, obviously AI doesn't have all of the knowledge, yet. So clearly we need to find some answers. Fortunately, I'm joined by two people with insight into exactly these kind of issues. 
Firstly, Tomoko Yukoi is a senior business executive and our researcher based at the Global Centre for Digital Business Transformation at the IMD Business School in Switzerland. She writes extensively on issues surrounding digital transformation, including AI and ethics in the corporate world. Hello, Tomoko. Hello. And Andy Crouch is a two-time tech co-founder and now a business development consultant, including for Acumen, a world leader in textual data analysis using software to identify emotions, behavioural drivers and topics of concern to audiences. Hi, Andy. Hello. So, Tomoko, let's start with you. What kind of things do companies need to be worried about when they're thinking about their AI or perhaps buying an AI product for the business? So I think we have to consider the actual software development lifecycle. When we actually even start by thinking of developing an AI product, the question is, is the first in the lifecycle development, you have to think about how the product is designed. You have to look at the data because the data in itself could be inherently biased. So that's one. The second one is once it's being developed, we have some statistics that say that although a lot of companies say that they're actually implementing AI ethics within their companies, the people who are actually developing these AI-driven products, they don't know how to translate those principles into practice. So when they're actually starting to code some of these products, you know, how are these principles actually being translated in the day-to-day development of this software? And then third, the question, of course, is when you go into testing of the products, are we, you know, it's in a rather controlled environment. So once then the product gets launched out into the world, the question then is who's monitoring it and how can we make sure that what was developed within the lab doesn't get the bias uh, that they didn't expect it to be. And also the fact that people are going to go to use it in the right way as well. So these are some of the sort of life cycle approach um, issues that you may have to look at. So we need to really be thinking throughout that life cycle when we're building, testing and using, how does the ethical framework fit into every aspect of it? That's correct. And Andy, turning to you, tell us a bit more about Acumen. What was it established to do and what kind of services are you providing there? Um, well, the founder, Paul Howarth, about 14 years ago, realised there was a gap in capability to uh, take advantage of human feedback in the generation of insights. So there's lots of capability to understand score this out of one to five. But when someone actually gives a dialogue response, like a feedback review on Amazon, for example, then there wasn't the capability to do anything with that. So he developed a capability with his team. It's used to basically turn any time when humans are talking to identify to a granular level key aspects of the meaning and the context, such as topics and emotions, in addition to sentiment, two very different things. Sentiment's basically a metric of opinion, positive, negative, neutral, whereas emotions, um, of which there are there are many, are actually one of the key drivers of behaviour. And it can be used anywhere where those conversations are going on. So, for example, in the fast-moving uh, consumer goods space, uh, lots of uh, application in healthcare, in mental health. So, yeah, it's pretty unlimited, really. Great. So while this is AI that's drawing conclusions about people using that data, what you're saying is it's doing it differently from this tech that everyone's currently talking about. There's a huge amount of hype going on in the minute around generative AI. So chat GPT, people will know about. The type of AI that um, Acumen has been doing for the last 15 years is very different. It's rule-based. The simple way of looking at it is it's human-created and curated. And rather than being a statistical model, like large language uh, models are, it's completely transparent. So Because humans subjectively have said, well, this bit of human language means this, for the first time, the machine, it's immensely powerful over numbers, hasn't got a clue 
bless it, over what humans are banging on about normally. So if you can give the machine that information, it can then use all its processing computational power. And so what happens, because it's human created, uh, there's no algorithms uh, like a large language model. If there's some bias that's been recognized or if the environment changes and so language and thought patterns have changed, then you can unpack the box and we can just dive in and nuance the rules so that it then becomes adherent to what people are looking for and removing bias. With the large language models, that's an incredibly complex and expensive procedure. One thing we see is large language models are drawing on big pools of data, but there's also more contained versions and enterprise level of tools like ChatGPT, where you put in your own data and then you're very much in control of, of how it's used internally and externally. Do you think that that use of internal corporate data for, for AI models is going to be the future? What do you think, Tomoka? I think it's one mechanism. Um, as we know, with uh, AI, there are some new functions that organizations are developing, data annotators who are actually going out and cleaning the data before it comes into their data models. So as long as organizations are putting these mechanisms in, developing new roles to ensure that the data is clean, um, I think that's a good way to do it. At the same time, though, um, is it a foolproof measure? The reality and the beauty of using data from everywhere, it does give you some really unique insights about things that you may not have been able to clean just from a pure capacity perspective. So on one hand, in, an, in a very controlled environment, yes, it can. But the downside is that it may not give you those unique recombinations or insights that you may not have had access to in the first place, and which is why you wanted to go ahead and do this. Sure. Andy, I think I know how you might answer this question. Probably a couple of points where ethics have a place. How is the model, the AI model built? Is it built from data that's balanced and, and ethical? Uh, is the data you're analysing through that AI model, is that ethically sourced? And then are you using it at the other end ethically? Um, I think that the lack of transparency over the large language models is absolutely uh, a rife area of risk for ethical and biased responses. The move towards retrieval augmented generative uh, AI when you're using those more sort of proofed uh, data sets is absolutely the way forward. And that's fundamentally what a rule-based uh, model is. Uh, so Tomoko, is focusing on suppliers who put ethics front and centre going to become increasingly important in this idea of digital responsibility for companies? Yes. And I think we see it in manufacturers first. One uh, company that we interviewed was uh, Deutsche Telekom, which has been a pioneer in the forefront in the AI ethics world. And they actually have gone ahead and trained all of their company employees, which is a rather a standard way of making sure that AI ethics is distributed uh, within the organization. Uh, and at the same time, though, I think they are also going ahead and making sure that all of their contractors and their supply chain are adhering to their AI ethics policy. So it's not only within the boundaries of the company itself, but it's going beyond. And I think that's what's important when it comes to AI ethics, because when a software or a product is developed, it's not only developed within the confines of a company. Absolutely. And I think you were looking at some study that showed that there's many, many charters out there. So how do businesses go about navigating all the different uh, documents and rules that are out there already? That is true. I think uh, there's about 200, over 250 principles and charters out there for AI ethics. And that is now the conversation really is getting into the operationalization of AI ethics and what can companies do about it. I think with any type of initiative, uh, it is about execution. Uh, you know, I think there are these 
codified types of mechanisms that are helpful. But at the end of the day, these codified mechanisms need to start changing our behavior. So I think the real question is in the long term, how can we live these principles and ideals? Uh, many companies have trainings at regular basis. Some companies have been looking at AI ethics advisory boards. Um, some of these companies don't actually have the intelligence or the knowledge about how to do AI ethics within the company. So external experts can help. But I think there is a case to be made for each individual taking initiative and responsibility themselves to be able to sort of guide and coach each other. We need to have some core principles that I think we stick to. And then if everybody's able to do that, maybe as a collective, we'll be able to have an impact and to make sure that we're responsible as a whole organization. I think the whole discussion about AI ethics is whether you see it as a value or whether you see it as compliance. And if you take the compliance approach, of course, many things tend to be cost-driven or risk-driven. And one of the things that we'd like to emphasize is that AI ethics could also be of value to companies. It could be of competitive advantage. And those companies um, who commit and demonstrate that they are taking privacy seriously, that they're taking digital responsibly seriously, a lot of the customers like that. And so think of it as a value generating approach rather than a risk or a compliance approach. My comparison I use is with the health and safety um, industry or within a company. You have the health and safety director or health and safety manager, one person at their responsibility. In my experience, that's not going to make a real change to the company unless everyone in the company is uh, educated about the importance of health and safety, but also more importantly, they get it. They're actively looking. They understand why it's important. And then as Tomoka was saying, that it absolutely does drive productivity and therefore um, revenue and, and your bottom line. Absolutely. A lot of risk and reward for businesses. And Andy, I recently read a piece and it was about how AI automatic translations, it was jeopardising people's asylum claims. So before they would have struggled to get um, someone to translate, but because there was misreading and misinformation in the translation, it was it was really not helping their cases. Um, but you've said that your approach allows for this genuine adjustment to biases. Tell us a bit more about that. So um, ChatGPT, for example, when being asked how many emotions there are in the human experience, has come back to us with uh, numbers as large as 138,000, which may or may not be true, but clearly is not very practical when you're trying to understand uh, behavior drivers of humans. So our platform has 19 to uh, 22 now, actually, I think. Um, and so that gives you a, a, the, the full gambit uh, that's relevant to understanding what might be driving human behavior. Um, and this is particularly relevant, for example, within uh, the NHS, which is the UK's National Health Service, where we deliver through our partner Civica into lots of trust to help them understand the patient experience and the practitioner experience. If you can understand the topics they're talking about, but also the emotions around those topics, then, for example, frustration or delight, then you can very quickly extract very reliable insights which can inform your plan and at any point if anyone questions things you can open the box and go well here you go this is why the system's highlighted this um, and what do you think about that do you not like that well then we can modify it but it, we've been doing it for so long that it's actually a very attuned model but again it's opening that transparent box so you know the workings of how you came to, to that analysis to Tomoko, how important is it to a company's reputation that they follow ethical ai practices i mean would that give them a competitive advantage we don't have specific data to say that it gives competitive advantage, but there are some surveys 
especially related to digital trust, the consumers are willing to evaluate companies who do and commit to these types of principles as just being higher. Uh, stakeholders or shareholders are willing to invest in more of these responsible and ethical companies and uh, consumers are willing to buy their products. So there is some disparate data that shows that there is value to doing this. And, and on the other side is their risk as we talk about greenwashing, when we talk about environmental, are, are there aspects of this that could spill over into tech and AI? Of course, there's already a term that's called machine washing. So it's already here. I think what companies really need to be um, diligent about is that when they make these public commitments, that they go ahead and execute and operationalize. Organizational change, embedding new practices is a very, very difficult endeavor. So one of the things I would just recommend is that if you have a grand goal uh, in terms of committing to AI ethics or digital responsibility, divide it into sub-goals that are tangible and that can easily be executed by the teams or by the functions or by divisions. And then the accumulation of these sub-goals will turn into results and results that people can see. And I think that's the most important things that uh, organizations should be doing right now. And Andy, you supply these different kinds of AI services to clients. Are you seeing this sort of consideration around safety and governance in the clients you work with? I think certainly, but specific our experiences to healthcare and mental health, where and hallucination as uh, errors in uh, large language models are jocularly referred to, that's very critical. That's life-threatening, so you can't have those. So at any time when you're dealing with anyone's PII in any space, it should obviously be sacrosanct and hugely respected, but no more so than in healthcare. It's nothing new to us, but I think um, as people start leaning more on the generative AI front, then um, not being 100% confident what the response might be in a given situation is uh, leaving the door open for accidents uh, and challenges and ultimately uh, a drop in share price. And do you think the management boards and the C-suite should appoint someone or is it about educating everyone about how to use these ethical frameworks? It's a really good question. I think that's the, the nub of it all. I think all of the above, as you mentioned, Susie, uh, because let's not forget, AI is not just at work. It's it's flopped over into our entire existence. So it's almost you should make sure that you know what's going on as an individual. And then everyone's going to care to certain extents uh, within the corporate structure. But it should be a multi-tier uh, approach and understanding. A whole tier from the individual to the business. Absolutely. And Tomoka, you're part of the IMD Business School, and it's turning out those top executives of the future that are going to be in the C-suite in years to come. So what are you telling the people who pass through the school about these types of issues? Uh, and what's the next things that they should be thinking about in their careers? We're trying to uh, tell people that everybody has a responsibility. They have responsibility to these issues that go beyond the company themselves. And that this type of responsibility is something that one needs to be aware of, but also the fact that they have a responsibility to be able to coach and make the other people within their team to be aware of it as well. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, what type of organizations do we want to work with and do these executives want to build? Is it an organization that can handle these multiple goals that we have to handle, which is not only uh, profit, but also some of these social, environmental and ethical issues? And 
I think the third one very much is as we try and um, coach people to be able to handle multiple goals within their workplace, you know, how can you do that in a way that is effective for the individual and that adheres to their value and at the same time is also good for the planet? So I think those are the three areas that we'd like executives to walk away with. And thinking about the future also for you, Andy, what do you think is coming down the line to suppliers like yourself and what kind of legislation or requirements are going to be placed on you? I think it's uh, fair to say to a certain extent in the world of AI as of today, if anyone tells you that they know what's going to happen in the next six months or beyond, I'd highly question that. I think there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of lobbying going on in different areas. And so I'd go slow because if your AI driven capability falls down for a failure in delivering capability, but also being rousted for being non compliant, ethically or otherwise, it's going to be very damaging to you. There is absolutely a need for regulation. I find it personally quite interesting to see how you regulate something that is not particularly definable and and morphs, as Tomoko has said, very quickly. We have to try and do our best to protect those who need protecting. So I think you're going to have to be very agile and you're going to have to understand the risks almost as they occur. Absolutely. And we like to uh, end our interviews by offering a final nugget. So that business executive audience who perhaps haven't done anything yet around AI ethics, they've maybe messed around with generative AI or they bought some tools, but they don't have that board of ethics or that charter yet. What would you say is the first thing that they should be thinking about doing today? Let's turn to you first, Tomoko. Well, as a mindset, uh, please uh, keep in mind that the analog world and the digital world is the same. So whatever values you have in the analog world should be extended to the digital world. It's not separate. Absolutely. And Andy, what would you say is your golden nugget of insight? Well, having I'm going to contradict myself as always. Having just said that uh, you should get your entire team conversant with AI, definitely do that, but also have a well-informed friend to call, someone who lives and breathes this stuff. So when there are changes, they understand it first and they understand its implications and have them on speed dial. A big thank you to Tomoko Yokoi and Andy Crouch for sharing their insights on AI and its ethical challenges. If you're enjoying these kinds of insights, you really need to be reading Secure Futures, Kaspersky's digital magazine about all kinds of tech trends for the discerning business executive. We've got an opinion piece about regulating ChatGPT, one about emotionally intelligent AI for recruitment, and articles from this season's insight story, including making the most from generative AI and an intro to digital sovereignty. You can find the link to Secure Futures in the insight story show notes. Everyone agrees that AI and machine learning offer incredibly exciting opportunities for businesses. But as we've been saying, they have to be used ethically and safely. To give us some insight into how to make the most of this tech while remaining secure, I'm joined by Dr. Armin Hasbini, Head of Research Centre, Middle East, Turkey and Africa for Kaspersky's global research and analysis team known as GREAT. So Amin, what are the key things that businesses should be thinking about if they're going into this area? When we talk about AI, a lot of us do not realize, I think, that um, AI is not going to be ethical by itself. It's not going to self-define its ethical standards. Uh, We also need to agree that when AIs that are uh, being used everywhere around the world today, they are programmed with ethical standards. And these ethical standards, uh, they do not represent everyone. They usually represent a biased definition of ethics 
uh, that is specific to a number of people, maybe programmers, developers, maybe an organization, maybe the country within which the organization operates. I think what is also important to say here is that there is almost no way the public is able to check, evaluate, critique, or enhance these ethical capabilities within this AI engine, within the AI uh, uh, algorithms that we are all using nowadays, which is uh, a major challenge, of course. So do you think there's a role there for regulation um, of these technologies? Because the business itself can't, can't really fully evaluate the language models um, and the inputs. Yes, indeed. I think we need security and safety by design and then continuous verification of this security and safety by design. Uh, such would require uh, transparency measures, especially by big tech vendors, and uh, allowing the public to influence such technologies and their development. In reality, we're asking the public to adopt technologies that can do a lot of damage without giving that same public the capabilities to make sure that damage will not happen. We did the same before with social media and social media technologies, and we've seen Sadly, a lot of incidents such as uh, data leaks, uh, abuse of data, scandals of fake news, etc. Do you think we're in danger of repeating those same patterns unless regulation happens at maybe more of a, a regional level, for example, in the, in the European Union? On the level of the European Union, I think uh, regulations are, are moving very fast into the areas of uh, artificial intelligence. Still, I think AI could cause a lot of damage, is much more dangerous than uh, social media. And uh, we definitely need these rules and laws in place as quickly as possible. Uh, and what about the data sets themselves? So if a company is buying um, an, a generative AI tool, what sort of questions should they be asking to make sure that the data they put in and also the training data that the model's based on is actually secure? I think an organization will figure out by itself what kind of data it is allowed to uh, put on AI if it has the right asset management controls in place. Because the asset management controls, if they are well deployed, they would allow to classify the data and they would allow to identify which data can be available to AI, which data can be available to the public, which data needs to stay inside the organization, confidential, private, or secret. Thank you very much to Amin. Now, one person who has a lot of thoughts about how AI can be better regulated is Eugene Kaspersky, a world-leading cybersecurity expert who founded Kaspersky in 1997. Today, he's the CEO at The Helm, protecting 240,000 businesses and 400 million people from cyber threats. He's a busy man. He recently wrote for Kaspersky Daily magazine about how he thinks regulators in the industry should be thinking about AI to improve trust. Do you think he's in favour of heavy regulation, lighter touch or no regulation? Only one way to find out. Check the link in the show notes to read it. That's it for this edition and in fact this series of Insight Story Tech Trends Unpacked brought to you by Kaspersky. 
If you've missed any episodes, search for us wherever you get your podcasts and you'll find all our other shows jam-packed with all kinds of insights for business leaders. We found global experts on topics from blockchain to quantum computing and smart energy to industrial IoT. Go and check it out. And if you like it, please leave us a rating and give us an excellent review. And tell us what technologies you'd like to hear about in the next season. If you want to get ahead, you really can't afford to miss it. Till the next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Ah, so Donnelly, thank you for all the info you shared with us this season. It was a pleasure. I'm sure I don't even have to ask you this. It was ethically sourced, right? You know where it came from. Have you ever been sick from data poisoning? Just before I go, I wanted to tell you about two other great series from Kaspersky that you might like. Fast Forward by Tomorrow Unlocked explores the past, present and future of the technologies around us. Season two features six fresh new episodes, including augmented body technology, how tech is changing family life and women in gaming. Plus, if you want to hear the latest news and views from the world of cybersecurity, join Jeff Esposito in the US and David Buxton in the UK for Kaspersky Transatlantic. They chat security around current tech news and have the lowdown on the latest data breaches. You'll find links to both these series in our show notes, but you'll also find them wherever you get your podcasts. So track them down and click follow so you don't miss an episode.